0: On This week's Movie Hilo, we're talking Teamsters, Solidarity, and a bunch of guys named Tony. Whatever you need us to do, we're available. This is Martin Scorsese's The Irishman.
1: Um, so we're just getting warmed up here.
0: Well, I'd like to thank any of our listeners, all three of them, that, um... (laughs) I'd like to thank anybody that put up with listening to me last week talk with my nasally congested voice. I think I I still actually feel a little bit sick i guess you sound better i sound way better than i did last sunday absolutely
1: yeah i wasn't you you sounded rough but it was also you were in the thick of it you were at the worst part of it so sometimes and the thing that's crazy like this time of year like when you get a head cold like that it is not easy to kick no um
0: sleep is a big part of it i mean when you're working and you're up early every day and you're going to bed late it's like if you're not getting a good night's sleep like it takes so much longer to get better and that's part of the problem then the weekend comes and you're able to sleep in more and it's like i feel better instantly because i was able to get more sleep So that's a big part of it.
1: Um, Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Movie High Low, a podcast discussing the best and worst that cinema has to offer. I'm Dom. And this is D. And today we are talking um, a film that I love very dearly. It seems very appropriate for the fact that we're going to be getting into Mm -hmm. Oscar season. uh, Our Oscars are going to actually be next week. Um, This movie's up for quite a few awards so we figured it would be apropos to to make it one of the podcasts um leading into the 2020 oscars uh my goal for this episode is to not talk for the same runtime as the movie because i feel like i could talk about this movie forever but oh,
0: man that just made me think of the joke ricky gervais made that i love so much at the golden globes where he goes the irish i think it was the irish when he was talking was like three and a half hours by the time the movie was over leonard DiCaprio's girlfriend was too old for him <laughs> i loved that joke That was good. That was a good one. That just made me think of that.
1: (laughs) Um, But yes, so the movie this week is The Irishman, directed by Martin Scorsese, released on limited screens uh, November 1st, 2019, and then on streaming uh, for wide audiences on Netflix November 27th, 2019. This is a high episode, says who? Well, IMDb has it at an 8.0 rating, uh, 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it is, of course, nominated for 10 Oscars. Um, at this year's Academy Awards
0: is best director one of them best directing
1: yeah. and two, two for best actor in a supporting role Al Pacino and Joe Pesci best screenplay best cinematography best costume design best production design best film editing Best film editing, of course, Thelma Shoemaker. God, bless, I hope she she's wins, God bless her. Of course. Oh, she's maybe I'm thinking of uh, most... Sally
0: Menke or whatever. Yeah, Sally Menke passed Tarantino. away. She passed away. Right.
1: But Thelma Shoemaker is the greatest mm-hmm. editor in film history, as far as I'm concerned. Best achievement in visual effects. Well, I'm sure we'll get to that later. And um, of course, best picture of the year. Um, the only thing really noticeably absent from this this roll call is best uh, actor in a leading role, which would have.
0: Ben De, Niro. ben De
1: Niro, and I think and he, he didn't was get no. Again. I think he was very, very, very sorely overlooked this year. Um, you know, I, I think it's very easy yeah, but, to overlook him.
0: That's like I never know when to start talking. But even for De Niro, that I can't even say this movie was one of his finest performances. I mean, all the movies he's been and all the great things. It's like this was him doing what he does best. I wouldn't even say this is best uh, best actor. Um, material for him you know I think of things obviously not talking about meet the parents or whatever or any of the bullshit he's done but like the classic roles that he's been in for decades like over the decades I don't look at this movie and think wow De Niro just shines he should he should get I mean I'm sorry I'm not saying he's bad he's not but it's not like it's something worthy of that it's not at that level for him
1: I respectfully disagree. Okay. I will. Well, I'm sure we're I'm not have.
0: saying it's bad. It's just it's just like my overall opinion of the movie as a whole, too. It's not that it's bad. I said it's like it's like cheese pizza or a bombed out pizza with all your favorite toppings on it from your favorite restaurant. It's like, yeah, cheese pizza is good. But is it great? I mean, or talking about pizza from your favorite place, making it just the way you want it where it's a masterpiece or work of art. To me, for Scorsese, for De Nier, for, I mean, all the actors in the movie even. I'm sorry. Like, it's, it's not the best example of any of these great men's work. To me, it's not.
1: Well, this is going to be a very interesting episode of Movie High uh, Low. Because even though it is a high episode, uh, we're going to disagree. I feel like we're going to disagree quite a bit on this movie. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's okay. Um And again... You know, we'll we'll get. We disagreed into it.
0: on the car ride home when we first saw it too, and I mean, th- I think that's part of why you thought this would be a good one to do for the podcast.
1: And it's and it's also, I just, I just, you know, selfishly, I just have a lot to say about this movie because I really feel like there's a lot of, um, especially approaching the Oscars this year, and also approach, just in general, kind of the the take on Martin Scorsese over the past couple months. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like this is an important episode to talk. about. Uh, not important, but it's a good episode to get into because, I, you know, for me. I think this is a uh, one of Scorsese's best movies. I think this is a landmark film. I think film. it could
0: have been maybe among them if um. he'd gone with younger actors in these roles. Well, I think let's, all yeah. that takes you out of it.
1: Let's is. get into all of that in a minute um, because we're going to go through the highs and lows. And, and there's certainly some stuff I agree with you on. But before we get there, let me do a quick uh, synopsis of the film. 1950s teamster Frank Sheeran is caught when a significant amount of meat that he transports somehow happens to fall off the truck. After being miraculously acquitted of the charges thanks to his union lawyer, he's formally introduced to Russell Buffalino, a soft-spoken but high-ranking member of the Philadelphia Mafia. Frank, a former World War II soldier, quickly becomes an expert, house painter, and carpenter, and eventually crosses paths with the infamous head of Teamsters, James Riddle Hoffa. A lifelong friendship is formed, as is a lifetime of union pension scams and systematic mob hits. But as Frank becomes more and more immersed in the world of organized crime, he will eventually learn the true cost of having compromised his family, morality, and soul.
0: Very well written. Yes.
1: The the first thing I just want to point out that I thought was really kind of rad was that there's no Irishman opening credit. the The movie's called The Irishman, but the movie, from from what I've read, is was not supposed to originally be called The Irishman. I think the the preference would have been to have called it the name we of paint the book, houses, which right? is I heard you paint houses. Right. And when you watch the film, there is not an opening credit that says the Irishman. The Irishman is not shown until the closing credits. So the opening credits actually say, I heard you paint houses. Mm. And I think that was kind of punk rock of Mm. Marty Scorsese to pull that off. There's there's a whole point in the movie where they're talking about where I I think De Niro's character says something to the effect of young people today don't know who Jimmy Hoffa was or how important he was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't necessarily consider myself very young. I'm in my mid 30s. But um, it's true. Like, when he says most people, they, they, when they think of Jimmy Hoffa, they think, oh, well, he's a guy who um, they know... Disappeared, but that's really right.
0: They don't know about the man he was before. That.
1: That's really the extent. I mean, right. maybe maybe you know he was involved in the Teamsters. But if but he had never don't...
0: disappeared, would they still know who he was? Well, maybe I guess. Or he... or
1: it's just you just don't you just don't realize. Like he he likens him to he he says that like he's like this is guy this guy in the fifties was like Elvis. This mm-hmm. guy in the sixties was like the Beatles. Like
0: people might think of like young people today might think of O. J. Simpson, right? And they might think about the car chase. Oh, I know about the car chase, but they might not realize he had a successful career in football and acting before that. Even like I just know about the Bronco chase, like. Do you know what I mean? It's they, crazy.
1: It's and 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 when you're young and don't know. And to watch this movie why
0: why in the carry remake are they quoting Adam Sandler? It's like <laughs> actually Adam Sandler is quoting the original Carrie, which actually took place, but you're obviously I mean, and you can't even just say it's a young people thing, because there's plenty of young people who are informed, but there's also a chunk
1: of young people that just don't know. Watching this film, like I had no idea that, you know, Jimmy Hoffa had control of the Teamsters' pensions and essentially was using it to gap finance Loans for the mob, mm-hmm. yeah, I, that 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 all of that shit completely escaped me. I had no idea that that mm-hmm. was the reality of what this guy was. And when you start to think about that, it is it is quite fascinating to think that sure. here's a guy who, in his prime, you know, he they, they say it in the film, and I don't think it's hyperbolic. I think it's I think it's quite probably real that he, this is a guy who, um, at his prime, was secondary to the president in terms of popularity and power Mm -hmm. um, because he was the head of the Teamsters Union. And because, you know, at that time, he had his
0: hands in that many pots. I mean,
1: it's 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 kind of it's kind of crazy. First high of this movie is, of course, the great Martin Scorsese, the the great direction from what I think I have nothing but respect and reverence for what I think is one of the greatest american filmmakers of all time and 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 is such an important director and you know i think this is such a great movie because for me it's showing that a he's still on top of his game he's still making to as far as i'm concerned some of the best work that he's ever made in his career and on top of that it's like he's putting a capstone on the genre that he thank
0: you that's what i was going to say and i thought you were going to disagree with me on that was that this is the kind of movie that he's known for making. He's made this type of movie, this style of movie for and is very masterful at it because he comes from an Italian American American background that the music, the sights, the smells, the taste, the food I mean everything it's like he he knows and understands that life more than I don't know more than most, but I mean as a director he's able to have that voice from his own firsthand experience when he makes, Good fellas and Casino or even Gangs in New York, which in, in its own way, I mean, it's not about... There are things about Italian-Americans, but it's like he's able to make these gritty mob or gang-related movies. It's very much kind of something he does, and I don't feel like this movie was him doing anything that different than what he's already done. Not that it wasn't I great. and I That's fine. I just... So you tell know, me what, aside from the de-aging, what no, did he do in this movie no. that was so different well, we're gonna get outside de-aging. of his wheelhouse? We're
1: going to get into the de The The difference is this, is that this is, when I say this it's- This is
0: a, Martin Scorsese doing what he knows best, no, to me.
1: What, what what I mean by this is that when I say he's putting a capstone on it, what I'm saying is that what it seems like he's doing is almost like he's trying to give the final word on a genre that he has helped to define his entire career. Okay, And not even just him. The actors in this movie. Okay. Scorsese, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, uh, De Niro, Pesci.
0: But do you remember that that's what I said we were talking about this? I think that's exactly why he, it was so important for him to cast them, even though it took us out of it, both of us, to see them with the de-aging and not buy into it and, and kind of remove you from, like... The performances are great. The great actors. All right. Well, but let's not
1: let's not get ahead because the lows. You and I are going to talk about the de aging. I probably ad nauseum and, and a lot.
0: It's not just the de aging. I remember I said I feel like this is kind of him and the actors, him doing it for them and them doing it for him. It's a a mutual transaction where it's kind of like this is the swan song for them a little bit because they're all of them are getting. I mean. Pacino, De Niro, Pesci, yeah. in addition to Martin Scorsese, are all it's getting older. It's the final older. word. It's the final. word. And it's not word. that they're all going to just retire or whatever, but this is kind of the end of an era of this style of movie with this type of actor. I get that, and to me, that makes that's the only reason it makes sense why he would have gone with them and not younger actors for the younger scenes.
1: But I think that's why I think that's why it's so important that he did it his way, not not to quote Sinatra, mm-hmm. but that he did it his way. The, the elephant in the room right now, and again, I think I think we're going to talk about it a little bit more in depth, but the de-aging is a problem in this movie. And as someone who loves the movie, the de-aging is a problem, okay? But my attitude when I think about this film is that Martin Scorsese has, has, has made his entire career, quite frankly, he's done amazing, beautiful movies outside of this genre. But really, when you think of Martin Scorsese, you think of him as a, as a mob film director. Yeah. For all of the criticism that he's received or has been leveled against him throughout his career about glamorizing violence or glamorizing the mob. This is a movie that really nobody can say that about for him because really what he has done very, very meticulously and carefully is to almost drain all of the energy out of the movie. Not not because he doesn't know how to energize a film or or put a soundtrack to it or make it move fast. Casino is a three-hour movie that moves faster than most hour-and-a-half movies I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. He know, Martin Scorsese knows how to make a three-hour movie. I hour feel the movie. same about Goodfellas. Right. He knows how to make a movie that's long, and he knows how to make it have a motor on it. But he almost rips the motor off this movie mm. because what he's trying to do is, in the end, he's trying to like almost pull the veil away and say... Okay, if if we're talking about these characters, and we're talking about this lifestyle, and we're talking about this world, in the end, not only does it end badly, it ends without dignity. It ends quietly and morosely. And, and lonely. And alone. You know, here's a character who, you know, without jumping ahead, has to kill his best friend and doesn't want to, and... Not only that, has spent his entire life alienating his entire family and all of the people that should love him so that when he goes to his grave, he is literally a person who has to like pick out his own casket because no one's gonna be there to make the plans for him. There's something really powerful and really sad and really real about what he's doing here. Okay. And you can, you know, you can you can say that it doesn't have the same zip as Goodfellas, or it doesn't it doesn't move quite like casino but it's it's trying to do something different it's not trying to do that type of movie i'm so happy that martin scorsese got the opportunity to put the final word on the mob movie that that no matter what happens you know maybe years from now even people that are like oh it's too long or it's boring will look back at this movie and be like wow that really was kind of like the third act of the overarching story he's been telling on the mob through his whole career something about our culture right now that really bothers me and it it just kind of strikes a chord when it comes to this movie you know there was this whole thing that happened with Martin Scorsese this year where they were talking about he was being interviewed I forget if it's Empire or what magazine it was he was being interviewed for press on The Irishman, and they happened to ask him about what he thought about the, the, the Marvel, uh, Marvel Cinematic user, Universe. And he made a comment where he said, <laughs> he said something to the effect of, yeah, that's not cinema. And he likened them to more of like, this is, they're more like rides at a at a theme park. It's an amusement. Okay. It's an entertainment. I'm just driving And me. everybody on the internet, I shouldn't say everybody, but like... A lot of people. The lowest common denominator lost its shit, okay? They just went nuts on him. And... It, 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 it's just indicative of this very kind of bullshit clickbaity culture that we have now that really... is just so
0: eager to believe the first thing they see and you not know, really do any research into finding up the truth. And
1: he followed it up with a very... And I would recommend anybody check this out. He followed it up with a very thoughtful op-ed kind of clarifying his thoughts. And, he, and if you read it, it's very intellectual and very smart. And what he's really talking about is the idea of how cinema is changing Mm -hmm. and how cinema is going it is and the fact that he's
0: right in what he said the fact that
1: when you go to a movie theater now there's less and less independent movie theaters Mm -hmm. that exist in America and when you go to a theater now your only option our franchises and how that's a little bit dangerous and how Mm -hmm. the idea that like if you are going to only going to go see a movie that's been market tested and been run through a conveyor belt and has been Mm -hmm. made by committee that we're going to lose something we're Mm going to lose something that's important about the voice of the
0: independent filmmaker or the everyday stories that are out there to be
1: told and it's and it's and people aren't paying attention to that and what they're doing is they're they're taking you know Martin Scorsese said fuck Marvel and they're taking a right. mean looking mean looking picture of him and putting it on Facebook and all of a sudden it's like 700 comments about and, like... And
0: we know him fuck like... Fuck
1: this guy. He should die. He's an old him. man or we something. We don't
0: know him but like I feel like David time you hear him in an interview, I mean he just seems so humble, kind. You know he's not that kind. of Like yeah, sure. People could argue. We don't know him personally. So what do you really know? But I really... We know that he doesn't have that bone. Even if it's a shittiest movie ever, he would never say that this movie is shit. He's not that kind of person, you know, or that kind of filmmaker that he would try to be discouraging to other filmmakers. It's it was totally taken out of context and, and conflated into this whole stupid thing. And it's like you're saying it's it's very clickbaity culture. Absolutely, people that want to see something online, you see some stupid passing thing which could be based out of nonsense. Who knows what facts they even are basing it off of. And they're so quick to believe it without even doing any research or finding out more truth about it. They're quick to believe it. But then also we live in a very PC culture. It starts to feel like you can't say anything. You can't have an opinion about anything without being considered you're going after somebody. And it's like, you know, that's not what he was doing. And he absolutely has a point. Movie going when we were kids was different. Movie going when my parents and our grandparents were kids was different. It's totally a different landscape now. I mean, we're getting to a point where they're probably going to not have movie theaters at all anymore. And if they do that's it's just scary. exactly it's just for Marvel, DC, it's for um the Fast and the Furious, it's all for those big blockbuster movies. That's what people want. They want to see special effects, tits ass, fast-paced, entertain me. I don't want to think, forget about reading subtitles. I mean, there's people that do, but the massive uh, the mass audiences, that's what they want. They want easy to digest. And they just want to be entertained and distracted for a couple of hours.
1: But that's what he was it's trying to It's fucking sad. But that's what he was trying to say. I know that's say. what he's saying. That's what he's trying to say and what people turned it into was really ridiculous and what really upsets me about that is first of all the clickbaity culture thing really pisses me off in and of itself but what really pisses me off about it more than anything honestly is that he's an older guy and what and what it feels like now is that it's more indicative of our culture is that we don't respect our elders we don't our culture is very disrespectful of people who are older because they feel like they're out of touch or they don't get it or you know the, the the a lot of the knee jerk reactions that i saw to that were like oh he's jealous he's an old guy he does, he's, he doesn't and it's almost like we're ready to read some little paraphrased bullshit thing that was written in some article Taking completely and completely out of context and we're ready to take this guy and put him on an ice float and send him yeah. adrift yeah. as if he wasn't one that's of the, the climate we live as in if now. he's not one of the most influential most important right. filmmakers of all time that shit really bothers And it's bothers important to make me.
0: the distinction with the comment he made he is absolutely correct think about the types of movies he makes the types of movies that he would go to see the types of movies that we would go to see versus these comic book movies. I would and it's not that they're bad or whatever. I'm not saying that, but it's just it's a very different type of movie going experience. And that type of movie going experience that he was referring to is becoming more and more extinct. I he's absolutely right. I, I see it and feel it. You used to work in video stores. They don't have video stores anymore. Same thing with movie theaters. You worked in a movie theater. You're seeing less and less of those, and the ones you see are megaplexes that only play that shit. There's less and less of the independently owned yeah. movie theaters. How is he talking out of his ass with anything he said in, and, in that? And again, it's absolutely true.
1: Here's a guy. Like I wouldn't ask my uh, my eighty fucking five year old grandfather. I wouldn't be like he wouldn't even word
0: it as well. I wouldn't be like
1: Grandpa, what do you think of Iron right. Man? You know what I mean. This is... That's not his thing. And this is another thing. And this is... I just got to bring this up. James Gunn pissed me off so much when this article came out. His tweet was something to the effect of, I didn't agree when when people protested Martin Scorsese's... Pas- Last
0: Temptation of Christ. Last
1: Temptation of Christ without seeing it. I feel bad that he feels that way about my right. movies.
0: Right. It's like, and it's hey so buddy, not the same thing. hey
1: buddy, first of all, Martin Scorsese isn't protesting Marvel exactly. movies.
0: He's not boycotting Captain America and Marvel movies. He's not rallying against them and having people sign petitions to get them taken out of theaters he's just saying it's a different climate now than it used to be that's all he said that's what i'm saying everything he said was taken out of context and exactly that's infuriating it's like that's not even what he said and just twisting it around.
1: Not only that, he's not protesting Marvel movies. He's not saying anyone shouldn't go. He's right. not naming you. He's not saying anything's wrong with Guardian of the exactly. Galaxy. So why are you making it about yourself? People and you know I what the worst like part that. is? You know what the worst part is? I, I like James Gunn a lot. He's a great director. I love Guardians of the Galaxy. He made a great film called Super a couple of years ago with Rain, uh, with Rain Wilson that's mm-hmm. hilarious. You are a director. You know what it's like to be taken out of context. Mm. Why are you piling on? Don't mm. pile on against this guy. He, everything he said, I I agree. Some people, you're totally fine to disagree. Anyone
0: is allowed to their opinion, but I don't think anything he said, and I know you don't think anything he said was meant to be hurtful and offensive, and was completely taken out of context. It's you ridiculous. Know,
1: and here's here's my favorite thing. Here's my favorite Coppola Coppola eventually piled on a little bit, and Coppola actually said some more inflammatory shit that I think was a little. I, I don't care, but I still think it was a little bit. Coppola was more like, Marty was being kind about it. Uh, it. These movies aren't not cinema. They're despicable. Like, he said something to that effect, where I was like, all right, that's a little bit too Who much. Who
0: said despicable? Who's the Coppola, despicable? Right, okay. Coppola. But here's okay, the thing. Okay, okay, but here's so Coppola thing. is the one who's actually throwing he went, punches. He, he
1: went a little bit more over the line. but here's. He, but here's How but here's people here's,
0: aren't shitting all over Coppola now?
1: They, they were. Of course they were. But Coppola doesn't give a shit.
0: But at least in that case, he's asking for it. He's being much more. But whatever.
1: Blunt. But whatever. All that aside, this was my favorite. This is my favorite thing. And this is this is this is where I think a fundamental amount of respect and, and integrity was implemented, okay? At one point someone grabbed John Favreau and everyone knows John Favreau is a big part of the MCU. He's he made Iron Man, he's mm-hmm. now part of the Mandalorian, okay? They pulled John Favreau and said, "What do you what do you have to say about the Scorsese and Coppola comments?" And Favreau did it perfectly. He said, Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola inspired me and inspired an entire generation to be film directors. Yes, they did. They've earned the right to say whatever they want. Don't you wish more people had that opinion? Full stop, period. Never went down, right? never got me down, right? All right, so jumping into other uh, highs, I, I just feel like I get highs for days on this fucking thing, but I, I think one of the other things that's really worthy of, of mentioning is the performance in this movie. Um, I mean this is the best that De Niro and Pacino have been in years in years these guys have not done work like this okay Um and P- a, and, and Pesci has been you know he's, he's he, came, he came out of retirement to be a part of this movie mm-hmm. so um, I just feel like these guys um, coming back it's some of the best work that any of them have done in years um, Pesci in particular coming out of retirement it's such a it's such a cool way to see him in a Martin Scorsese movie where he's playing such a different type of character right. than he's not like, a hothead. You're waiting for him to go nuts in this movie. You're waiting him from from to blow his top. And he's didn't such, you
0: say there was something like where he was like intentionally trying to hold it back? Like the scenes where Pacino's like getting all heated with him, and it's like he had to like he was doing something to keep himself cool. Yeah, like he had to like I don't I don't know what it was exactly. Well, he's
1: but. he's playing more of an old school type of mm-hmm. Italian guy where he's. They don't get mad. They don't yell. They don't scream. You don't get mad. You get even. Like, even the scene before, like, there's the whole scene with Joe Gallo where Sebastian Maniscalco plays Joe Gallo and he um, insults Joe Pesci and there's this whole thing. And and the scene is like, Pesci sits down across De Niro. He just looks at him and De Niro knows, like, okay, we're, we're putting the head on this guy. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's such a departure for what, we're so used to seeing, well, you're waiting, oh, Pesci's in this, he's going to go nuts, he's going to scream, he's going to well, go Well, in bananas. some ways,
0: he was kind of the Don in this. He wasn't the Don, but more of a Don than he Joe Pesci's been in the other movies he's been in. Do you know what I mean? Like, the Don is actually, I think, Harvey Keitel in this movie, who's, you know, yeah. doesn't have as much of a, I guess... Role that shows much dimension or whatever, it's more. I don't know what you would call that. That's a great scene, but, though. That's a great but scene. But in this movie, Joe Pesci is kind of like a Don, he's kind of like a boss, and because of that, and he's not a boss who's a hot headed, heavy handed boss, he's the quiet type, so like a calm. serpent, you know, like
1: so even snake in the
0: grass or what you know. Like, I'm don't worry, I'll catch you, and you're not gonna see me coming, but I'll, very, right. very, even-tempered, right.
1: very even tempered, very well measured. Very calm, very sweet, sweet. Actually, one of the funny things I love about Joe Pesci, uh, this is kind of a fun scene when when De Niro first meets Joe Pesci and when he's when he's the truck driver when he's mm-hmm. still the union guy and he, and he pulls into the thing and his, his car, his truck's all mm-hmm. fucked up and Joe Pesci's looking at it and he's going, oh, and he's like, I can hear there's something wrong with this belt. This is what you need to get fixed, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. It's, it's, he's just so, he's so friendly and Mm -hmm, nice to him. mm -hmm. And De Niro's saying to him, he's like, Hey, I'm, I'm Frank. What's your name? And he's like, Where are you from? Right. I'm from Philadelphia. Where do you hang out? I hang out at these places. Oh, I know those places. See you later. Get that belt fixed. He won't tell him his name Uh because he knows, like,
0: his reputation proceeds. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And that's when, when after De Niro goes through the whole thing where he goes through the whole trial with, with, with Ray Mm -hmm. uh, Ray Romano as his lawyer. And he goes to that whole thing, he meets him, and well, you know, that's his cousin, and then he meets him later, and he's like, oh p- shit, that's the. Right. Please, please. Well,
0: because you wanted to talk about bullet points, and, yeah. you know, I, I want to piggyback on that as far as a high. I remember I wrote that as one of my highs, was that in the beginning of the movie, or the first quarter of the movie, at least, it's pretty early on, where it shows him and Pesci, Robert De Niro and Pesci, and their wives in the backseat, stopping for smoke breaks every five seconds. Yeah. That's cute, I guess. Um, but when they stop, one of the first stops, it's like at the Texaco gas station and um, sh- sh- what is it? Sh- Shucky's? Shucky's? What's the name of the place? Hold on. It said it. Stuckies. That was the name of the place. It was Texaco gas station, They're like this little coffee shop, restaurant, whatever, diner, Stuckies. And the fact that that plays into a flashback to when they first met each other, oh, what are the odds we stopped here and this is where we first met kind of thing. Yeah, You know, I yeah. liked that. It was one of the highs I remember right Yeah. Down.
1: There's another kind of interesting nuance thing, but like De Niro's character, and I don't know enough about Frank Sheeran. I don't know if this is a a thing that actually is part of his character or if this is something that he created, but De Niro kind of has this like stammer throughout the Mm -hmm. movie where he he, he does that kind of thing. And it's um, just this affectation of speech that he built into the character that is... I don't know it's it, it feels very authentic it mm-hmm. feels very real and also like the where it's implemented in throughout like there's certain parts of the movie where he gets nervous or he does this or at the end of the movie when he's um, talking to the, the priest and the priest is like doing the the prayers and he's like trying to repeat the pair the prayers but he's doing it like the he's having a hard time repeating things and I don't know. I think De Niro's performance is so great in this movie. Well, I
0: was going to say as much as it, the Joe Pesci character is a far cry from his other roles that he he's done in the past, it's kind of a similar thing with Robert De Niro in that his character in this movie is almost m- mousy in some ways. Kind of like, I mean, yeah, he paints houses and all this and that. It's like, mm. it's not that he's not tough in his own way, but he's more mild-mannered and subdued and kind
1: of meek. and He does not start in the film as a mafia guy. He starts in the film as a truck driver. Mm-hmm. He's a legitimate teamster. He's a guy who just drives a truck and happens to be a soldier, which is important to the, the plot of the movie because veteran, yeah. he's not a guy who um, is a part of La Cosa Nostra. He's not a guy who's a part of the mob, but he gets it. He's a guy who, because he's been through the war and because... You know, of, of his background is someone who understands how to follow orders, who understands that duty people are expendable, that some people have to be killed. Mm-hmm. You know, he 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 has a uh, moral flexibility that allows him to very okay. easily ingratiate himself to this world. But he's not of this world. Mm. He's n- he's a truck driver right. who's willing to drop a few things off his truck to, to make some money. And happened to have been a soldier, so he can he can easily facilitate into this world. His his daughter, Peggy, is such an important character in, in the film. And his daughter, Peggy, even as a child, and then when Anna Paquin plays her as an adult, is very different because of the fact that she doesn't have a lot to say or do in the film. A lot of what's required of the young actress who plays the young Peggy, and then Anna Paquin later as the older Peggy, is that she's not saying anything that she just kind of looks at her father and knows what he is Mm -hmm. and knows that you are a criminal and I don't agree with your morality and I'm scared of you Mm. and you've been absent from my life. So why should I be present in your life? Mm. And that's, you know, people want to criticize that. Like, why? Oh, she
0: barely had any dialogue. It's like, but well, do you understand why she barely she, had any dialogue? She's
1: not. She's not supposed to. In right. fact, you you only cast an actress as good as Anna Paquin in a role like that to convey that she doesn't have to say barely anything. She can say everything in her eyes. She can and say body everything. Yeah. Everything. I think she has one line in the whole movie where she goes, "Why? why? Like why? Didn't why? You call? Why yeah. haven't you called?" Yeah. yeah. It's all she says,
0: and a couple of thank yous she mutters out at Christmas when she gets the skates from Uncle Russ. Yeah,
1: and that I love, and that. the hundred
0: dollar bill that she's like, yeah, I know how you got all this.
1: And then of course Pacino, we can't talk about this movie without talking about Pacino. Um, what a great performance! Solidarity. He's, he's given solidarity. He's, he's given a great performance. Solidarity. Even that speech. Even I, I'm sure that that's a that's a. Um, um, you know, paraphrased version of, of one of the Hoffa's speeches, but mm-hmm. it's a great speech. Like, if you got it, it came off a truck. Right. You know, if you, your fuel, your clothes, your food, it all Anything. came off a truck. Mm-hmm. You know, he was... he. I really believe, it, after watching this movie especially, I really believe that Hoffa, as fucked up as a person as he was, and as arrogant and as, um, you know, corrupt as he was, really, to a certain degree probably really cared about the union he probably i think he really did
0: oh, baby. and i think
1: and i think that that's a way to humanize him in the step movie down, step down
0: step down step down to step down to the grave like yeah. right like i'm not gonna retire i like that whole back and forth thing where it's like you know he's like poor robert de niro's like the middleman who has to like Transfer messages between Tony Salerno, like what Tony Salerno said, and then what Jimmy Hoffa said, and it's like, it's like, oh yeah, well tell him I'm never gonna retire now. It just escalates. You, it escalates on both ends. Tell him he's gotta relax, enjoy his family.
1: Well, one of the things you expect from a Pacino performance is that he's the gonna get freak out. a freak freakout, and he does get a great Jimmy Hoffa freakout moment. Well, I
0: think the solidarity thing is a little bit. Well,
1: weird. the solidarity, but the but the best, you know, he's doing this great. Well,
0: when he's talking to uh, what's his Primo. Oh, he hates that guy.
1: Not even that. When he's dressing down all of his yeah. staff. Um, when he's yeah, doing yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And then, and then, Denier, you could talk to him like that. You could talk yeah. to yeah. me like that.
1: But when he's doing the whole thing where he's coming. He's yeah, that all, is funny. When he's doing the whole thing, he's like, he's like, you're lot of sell insurance towards his fucking farmers, locals.
0: Fuck. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he's like I losing know. his mind. Yep. yep
1: and, it's and like
0: it kind of ties into Nicolas Cage last week at the Wicker Man like you know it's like those actors every movie they're in at some point or another there's gonna be that fucking loud freak out scene they gotta have it doesn't matter what movie it is what role he's playing it's gotta be in there at some point whereas there it is it's coming there it is <laughs> yeah it's funny
1: it's so fucking great the other the other thing I thought was really cool as a, as a high I would say is just the dead character titles so there's a there's a, there's a there's a whole bunch of sequences in the movies where um, sorry, there's a whole bunch of sequences in the movie where they'll introduce characters and they'll freeze frame on them and they'll show like a like a quick title that right, says about how they die, how they died, and yeah. all of them are incredibly violent. Right. It's like this guy was shot 75 times in the face in a parking lot in right. Chicago, you know. And it's this one
0: was rated and thrown off a cliff, and it's <laughs> I mean, showing you.
1: It's like this is this is the way these guys go. This is right. you want to be you want to be in this well, game. Well, there
0: were like one or two that was like died of old age or natural causes in his 80s yeah. or whatever it's like oh, And a couple kinda... of them
1: like seemed like they were the nicer guys but the point was is that it was like if you want to be a part of this if you want to be in this game this is how you go you go badly you right. go violently there's no dignity or grace or or prestige to the end of this it's that like you live by the sword and you die by the sword. All right, why don't we we just, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back. There's probably a few more highs we have to do and then we'll get into some of the lows. Um, But let's take a quick break and come back for the rest of the episode. You dumb
0: motherfuckers!
1: You let him sell insurance to his fucking fathers! To his fucking fathers! To his fucking fathers! Locals! Damn it! All right. So coming back from break, I got a few more highs to get into on this flick. And then I think obviously we want to get into the lows um, as far as other highs, just real quickly, like to, to kind of just run through them real quick. Um, I think the screenplay by Steve Zalian is is great. Uh, Steve Zalian also wrote Awakenings, Searching for Bobby Fischer, Civil Action. So this guy's definitely a a proven commodity. He's a great writer. And what's really good about this movie, I feel like, is he's got a great kind of ear for dialogue. Um, All the like mob euphemisms that they have in the movie, the painting houses in particular is one of them, Um, where I think they do a really good job visually of of explaining what that is when they show De Niro, shoot the guy in the back of the head and all the blood hits the wall and you get, oh, okay, this is what paint houses means. But even things like, you know, I do my own carpentry. And like, there's a couple other things that are just like these...
0: Right, there's a lot of hyperbole going on.
1: Or just, just euphemisms that they use that are like things that are meant to kind of only like mob mm-hmm. guys really know what it means. But it's it's to hide what, what's really being said. Um, and then like just like some of the great asides, some of the things, some of the conversational stuff that he writes into the movie that's just kind of, that has nothing really to do with plot forward, but more about like the types of conversations these guys would have. So for instance, when... At, towards the end of the movie, when they're in the car, and it's the whole thing about you know oh, it was a fish. Well, what, what kind of fish? Right. What kind right. of fish did you? you it's know? like
0: a silly mundane conversation.
1: And then like the whole thing with the big ears it's, guy.
0: It's a uh, comic relief. Yeah. It breaks some of the tension.
1: And then like when you know it's the whole thing with the big ears guy, and it shows up. And he's like, you, you looking at my ears? He's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about, man. He's like, right, well, I had an operation. You can tell everybody stop looking. Yeah. It's just that kind of stuff. I think draws you into the movie in a different way because it just makes everyone kind of seem more human and fleshed out to a certain degree yeah but it also Um,
0: like i said i think it lives to break some of the tension yeah for sure like there's long drawn out scenes that are it gets heavy for a while and it's like you know it needs something to just to add some warmth to it i guess or to to, just to break the tension
1: even like the stuff with like the women at the beginning with their the the cigarette breaks and all that Mm -hmm. stuff is kind of like i think it's there for that purpose too Mm -hmm. like it shows that these are this is kind of what it feels like being in the car mm-hmm. with these guys, but, uh, and like the women, like, like uh, what's her name? Um, I forget the actress who plays...
0: Charmaine Buko. Who plays
1: Charmaine Buko? But the fact that she's always holding her cigarette, like she, like a- after they take a cigarette break, you'll see her in the back seat and she's She's, she's holding, already waiting for the next one. Yeah, she's holding her next cigarette that yeah. she's going to start smoking. I think that's really funny.
0: She'd be smoking in the car if she could. She tries to at one point and then Joe Pesci gives her shit, you yeah. know?
1: Cinematography I think is another big high um, The The cinematographer Is Rodrigo Prieto, Prieto I hope I'm saying that right uh, He also shot 25th Hour Which is one of my Favorite movies um, And he shot a bunch Of other Scorsese stuff He shot Wolf of Wall Street He shot Silence He shot episodes of Vinyl And I think he's uh, Attached to do Scorsese's next movie Killers of the Flower Moon Scorsese works with pretty much all the best cinematographers. Yes. Um, so it's not it's not a surprise that when you watch this movie that it's, you know, visually very beautiful and looks great. One of the things that I, I really like that that he does particularly in this movie is there's this one steady cam shot that they repeat where there's the opening shot of the movie going through the nursing home and then there's another shot later where it's the the hit in the in the barbershop. Yeah. Um, the kind of the camera this is like the steady cam shot that kind of follows people out of the barbershop and down the hall and then comes back around and then kind of stays outside the door when the hit happens. And they repeat that shot again at the very end of the film. It's like the last shot of the movie with with De Niro in that in his in his room when they follows the nurse out. We get to the end of the hall and we follow back. And now it's like another night. And that's when you the camera kind of hangs outside the door while the priest is talking to him. Mm-hmm. So just kind of like a cool visual bookend that they put in there. That, yeah. That no,
0: it is good. It's effective. And Scorsese... It's one more way that it demonstrates Martin Scorsese's artistry through cinematography. It's not just, you know, the costume or the music or the dialogue. It's also the way he chooses to capture the moments c- cinematogra- cinematographically speaking. There you go. That's If right. That's, do you know what I mean? Cinematographically. <laughs> I bet that's a word.
1: Um... Yeah, I mean, it's and he's obviously he's very an artist f- through and through. And he's, he's very famous for known for for doing cam work, which is, you know, it's appropriate that it would be in it's this one movie. of
0: his favorite toys in his to- uh, toy box.
1: So obviously, you want to jump into your eyes, too. But just from the just to round out what I, what I got left here is um, just some great scenes. I think Scorsese uh, got some of his like kind of classic type of scenes in this movie um one in particular is the testimonial dinner where De is getting the award mm-hmm. and it's the whole it is what it is speech where it's like
0: yeah, what it is
1: well where where pesci takes uh, pacino aside and is basically telling him the whole thing like hey you know there some people not me but some people are thinking you're showing a fundamental lack of appreciation mm-hmm. you know and he's freaking out and then and then you know Pesci then has to take De Niro aside and be like, "I'm talking to him, but he's not hearing it. He's not listening to me. Like you need to, you need to tell him it is. It is what it is. Like he's got to what it is. is, you know. And then and then and then De Niro takes Pacino aside and has to give him the whole thing where he's basically warning him, like, "They're you know, they're, this it's it's what it is. I know.
0: And then it's so sad too in that scene where um, De Niro's t- trying to tell Pacino like, "It's it would mean so much more if it came from you. Nah, no, nah, you tell him. It's like." You don't understand. They're gonna fucking kill you. Like he can't say that, but like, yeah, yeah. He, he, the whole movie's in euphemisms, like you said. So it's like they're not gonna come out and have the character say that. But De Niro, I, Pacino knows what he's being told by De Niro, and it's not. He chooses to not listen, or you know,
1: well, just and the, in denial
0: about how serious, yeah, how deep he's in,
1: and the way, and the way he's just kind of like, hey, in the end, like only one thing is true. It's my union. Like I don't give a sh- like I don't give a shit. Right. You know, he's willing yeah. to go down. With the ship. And it's like De Niro knows what his fate is going to be at that point. But it's such a great scene because of the way that it uses the pairings of each of those. So like it starts with um, you know, the pairing of of Pesci and Pacino having that conversation, and then Pesci and De Niro having right. that conversation, and then De Niro and Pacino having that conversation, where it's all kind of encapsulated in this one scene where it's this like ring around the rosy of information that's being passed around mm-hmm. that ultimately is going to say like look they're going to if you don't back off they're going to kill you and you mm-hmm. got and then he's and he's saying the whole thing i got tapes i they don't i know things that they don't know that i know yeah. and it's like you got to stop talking like that because yeah. you're going to seal your own fate here mm-hmm. so at one point i think the way the scene ends is when um Pacino goes and he's dancing with with Peggy mm-hmm. and De Niro's just kind of looking at him like he knows like this isn't. It. and it's.
0: Peggy's looking too like she knows what's going on.
1: So obviously another great scene is the the hit on Hoffa and kind of everything that's leading up to that hit. There's this false sense of hope that there's gonna be um an opportunity to like have a sit down and work things out because there's the whole thing with um with pro and all that craziness right. that's happened that's that's part of the problem with mm-hmm. Hoffa not being right. able to. That's another great scene too. Is the, There's the lots
0: f- of great, all the scenes together are great. Yeah, but like when Hoffa,
1: in. when Hoffa and Pro get into the big fight, and it's like, yeah, he's I'll apologize. Meeting yeah, you you show up fifteen you t- minutes. Late show up fifteen minutes late, and you wear shorts. You like you're trying to say something. He's like, you you know you 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 had a you used a bad term when you were when we were in prison. You said you people. Mm-hmm. I want you to apologize mm-hmm. for that. And like, I'll apologize and for that. Cosmo, what bastard? Yeah. But anyways, the the hit on Hoffa, I mean, like the the right up to it, leading up to it, De Niro has this false sense of hope that he's going to be able to somehow just have a sit down and work things out and then realizes, you know, I think when Pesci says to him, um, you know, we did everything we could for him. We did everything we could for the man. And, you know, you don't call him. Don't tell him. Like he's giving him the heads up. And then the next day is telling him. Um, you know, you have to, you're going to go. Yeah. I had to put you into this because if I didn't put you into this, you would try to stop it. Right, which is um, true, probably. And then he drives him to the to the hit and he, get, he gets on the plane um, to Detroit. I think he was flying to Detroit. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, I think it was Detroit. But, the, you know, that he takes his sunglasses for him and it's that cool bookend when he comes back. He's been sitting in the car yeah. holding the sunglasses right. the whole time. Like, as if time has... St- I remember
0: thinking that was a cool
1: bookend. Yeah, too. like if time, as if time has stopped you know, while he's been gone away making this hit, and then it's just kind of a—it's very reminiscent of the hit in Goodfellas on Tommy, where you know Tommy shows up to—he thinks he's being made—and he shows up and sees yeah. that the room is empty, no one's yeah. there, and, and he has like, that moment oh, of "oh no!" Yeah. and then they the yeah. get shot in the back of the head. Yeah. But the thing that's kind of—that's even I think more sad about this scene is everything leading up to this scene, the whole like time that De Niro's in the car and waiting, and he, he, asks, he knows Do you have your gun. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. But like even just the whole everything leading up to even before they even get Hoffa, like the, like that he knows that this is an inevitability. There's mm-hmm. nothing he can do to well, stop he's there it. To do. He's got to he's got to pull the trigger. Yeah. It's going to be him when they actually do get Hoffa and they get him to the house. It's you can see this moment of hesitation, mm-hmm. you know, when he first walks in and he sees that the house is empty and he knows something's up and he's like, let's get out of here. It almost would have been more humane of De Niro to have popped him right then. Yeah. to have not even letting him let him get the like as he's heading back for the door is when yeah. he actually fires the shot and you can yeah. see De Niro in the background like holding the gun yeah. hesitating. Yeah. Um
0: psyching himself up like okay do it do but it. But not yeah but like, like you, you can see the thought you can he see doesn't that he's do, thinking in his head okay do it do it you got to do it like, Or he's or he's he's, he's, he's like holding himself. out he's
1: holding out for like the last moment like as if he could prolong it just a moment more like maybe it doesn't have to happen Mm. you know and it's just that whole scene is delaying an
0: inevitability yeah
1: and it's it's really it's like you know these are these are all bad people obviously but the the you're with these characters up to this point in the movie and it's like it is very emotionally compelling that you know you 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 know he doesn't want to do it you know he doesn't want to have to be the guy to do it so i love i think that's a great scene Mm. and then the i think the best scene in the entire film is the the scene that follows it once um once he's back home and everyone knows that Hoff is missing when he has to go and make the phone call to Hoff's wife. Mm-hmm. I think mean, it's like the you know De Niro's best work in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um and just a really powerful scene where he's you know he's doing the whole stammer thing know, when he's it's talking like he's on the closing
0: phone. His eyes. It's like he can't even he if I bet he can't look at himself after that. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: And he knows he knows he knows that he's telling he knows that he's lying to her. He knows that you know she's never going to see him again, and also like that they're never going to know. Like he just disappeared. They're not going right. to find a body. Like it's a really they're going to have to thing. they're going to have to go through the rest of their lives. Half his is going to have to go the rest of their lives just not knowing what happened to him, mm-hmm. um, and that he's sitting there and he was the one that did it and can barely choke the words out or, or try to be comforting to her. It's it's just a really super emotional and and, and great scene. And then I think he references it later when he's talking to the priest, when the priest is asking him, do you have any remorse? You know, and he's like, no, not really. Everything I everything I did, I had to do. And, you know, and then he's and then he's thinking, he's like, oh, what kind of man makes a phone call like that? Mm. Like, that's the one thing that he can think of that is the one thing that he actually does regret doing. Um, Just I mean, that's. Catholic guilt and just all the stuff that Scorsese is great at like being able to to take uh what should be unlikable characters and humanize them to the degree that we as the audience can watch them and and, and care about uh you know a guy like Jimmy Hoffa I feel bad hit.
0: that they got themselves into the mess they got themselves into yeah. maybe yeah. in some way.
1: Um and then I think it's a great ending too. I think the ending scene is really powerful where the priest comes to see him at the end and it's the whole thing where he's saying You know, can you just leave the door open a crack? I like it open. And it's, he doesn't know that it's Christmas. No one's there to see him. Um, The, uh, I think it's a cool callback to There's a scene earlier in the movie when he stays with Hoffa for the first time at at his hotel. And he's saying like, I had to stay in his hotel with him so that the hotel wouldn't have any record that I was there. And when Hoffa goes into his, he has like the room with the French doors. He like leaves them open a crack. And it's like this way of, of, I'm not really alone, even though I'm alone. I'm not really alone. So that's all, that's all I really got for for highs. Anything you want to talk about for highs before we jump <laughs> yeah, in? Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, well, I obviously put that I liked in the still of the night. I like the use of that song. It's a classic. Um, in the long tracking shot from the beginning and how that all ties up. And I remember thinking it reminded me a lot of the Copa shot from Goodfellas. And mm. I think that was probably kind of the point. And as you already mentioned that. Martin Scorsese, did he technically pioneer the Steadicam?
1: No. The Steadicam, the first, the the actual Steadicam was, I think when it was built, it was like the first test shots were used in Rocky uh-huh. for the stair scenes. I think that was like like a prototype oh, okay. that they were using. And it was really kind of made famous in The Shining, all of the, the shots going through the overlook and following and tracking with Danny. Okay. So, but he yeah. just
0: did some different things with it, like making it hold longer, I guess. Like following people through the interior of a building.
1: Yeah, he, I mean, he got, I mean, the, the famous shot, The what you're talking about, the Copa shot, it's, they, they're called oneers. so uh, the idea that it's, it's, a, one it's, a, it's a single shot, and that's, the reason that that shot's so impressive is because it moves through such a huge amount of space, and there's so much, like, people crossing, guys bringing in tables, people in the, you know, so much is happening, they have to pre-light all of that, and yeah. it's a very um, technically difficult thing to pull off. Um,
0: the cars are beautiful in this movie. I put Beansy with exclamation points. I was like, <laughs> I like that Beansy was in this from Sopranos. Yeah,
1: it seems like there are a few Soprano alumni that were in this. I
0: don't know if he's the one I wrote down for some reason. Well,
1: Charmaine Bucco.
0: Yeah, That. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's true.
1: And then I feel like there was like one or two other Sopranos folks. I can't remember now.
0: Oh, I like the whole thing where um, he's throwing the guns in the water. Oh, uh, he, yeah. They can arm guns. a small military yeah, if, they, if they fished it out. Yeah. <laughs> I like the scene where... He's in court, um, Al Pacino, and somebody is in the courtroom. I don't know if it was somebody we're supposed to know, but it was somebody that tries to execute, tries to shoot uh, Jimmy Hoffa, Pacino's character, and his son, Chucky, stops him or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he goes, that's my voice. all proud. And he goes, that's right. You charge with a gun with a knife, you run. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. They
1: use that line in the trailer, too. I remember thinking that was really funny. But it's just,
0: the whole scene is funny. It's like it. It's actually a. I mean, I would say a dramatic yeah. scene, but like you know he almost got shot and 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 then it's played certain, for levity the
1: yeah, rest of it like the exactly. the whole scene's played for levity after where he's he's like oh i, I kind of felt like the pellets it felt like a little bit of air and yeah. he's holding up his son's it arm like 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 he like just want to fight or something yeah. yeah that 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 is it's a good funny. scene
0: the crooner i enjoyed the crooner at frank's testimonial dinner it reminds me a lot of again goodfellas the my love, my love, all that music, like that old-timey yeah. 50s crooner-style music, you know? Um, and I think he had the same singer. I mean, I don't know who the singer was, or I mean, I don't even know if it was like Mario Lanza or whatever, but what Italian crooner songs were even being sung. I mean, I know the songs, but I don't know who's, who makes them famous, per mm-hmm. se. But I, I could tell it's like... And then um, this, when the scene's ending... It's just the instrumental version of Oh, I didn't write the song down. It's the instrument They do Spanish Eyes. He's singing Spanish Eyes and that was really pretty. Um, But then it ends with um, Pretend you don't see her Pretend you don't love her That song. It does an instrumental version of that song. It's like he's not singing it but it's like the band is playing it. And I'm like, oh, it's like him paying homage to Goodfellas in his movie here when the music does that mm. you know what i mean yeah so I, I of course i really enjoy that i gravitate towards all that stuff um so it was funny and that's and that's around the time where peggy's dancing with jimmy hoffa and she's looking and she can she can tell something's up she knows he's about to get killed or like that something's going on and like they're after him yeah and you know that peggy's character that's like the one man in her father's life that she doesn't feel unsafe with she yeah actually, she actually she has like a, almost or like or a, uncle him. like or fatherly she's probably closer to him than even her own father. You know what I mean?
1: That was another scene. We didn't really talk about that scene, but I think that was... uh we talked a little bit about like Peggy and his relationship, but the when Russ is was is trying to warn him early on when he saying when he's saying, "Oh, she doesn't like me," and he's like, "Oh, well, you know, she's she's kind of like that around me," and he's going, right. "Look, she she can feel uncomfortable around me, but you're her father. I you know. need to, you really need to get on that now.
0: That should be a wake up call that there's something wrong."
1: You know, because he's saying like, we, you know, me and my wife, we can't have kids. You're so blessed. This, that, and the other thing, almost warning him like, if you don't get if you don't get your arms around this now. It's going to be a problem later. And of course, that's what comes to pass is that he's because he's alienated his family for so long, by the end, none of his daughters give a shit about him, especially Peggy, because Peggy really well, sees him 40 years. I
0: can't even say doesn't give a shit. I think she's afraid of him to the end. Like She just doesn't want anything to do with him because she knows he's bad news, and right. she doesn't feel safe. Even the, us, when Robert De Niro's character goes to visit the younger sister, she says it. She's like, we never felt safe. We never felt like we could come to you.
1: Yeah, if we if we told you something, we knew you'd do something I, terrible. I,
0: you. He probably didn't even realize that he was making his daughters feel unsafe. He could, I'm sure he could tell there was a distance and a fear of him, but the fact that his daughters felt unsafe from him, yeah like I bet he didn't even realize that well, until that, it was said to him. That all comes he from... He thought he was always protecting them, but he didn't realize that he was actually almost doing more damage than good.
1: Yeah. That all comes from the scene that I think might be a perfect segue for us to get into the lows. Because that all comes out of the scene where he beats up the, the grocery store guy. The biggest low of this film, if we're going to get into it, now's the time to do it, uh, is the de-aging. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's not quite there as far as believability. And the bigger, the bigger issue with the de-aging for me, personally... Isn't so much the way that the faces look. I was never really convinced that these guys were supposed to be the age that they're supposed to be in the scenes based on the on, on the way their faces look, even with the de aging technology applied. But that being said, like I was almost willing to give that a pass. The thing that's really the trouble with the de aging is that you can't de age physicality. And this scene in particular is really where the where the biggest problem is is when De Niro goes to beat the shit out of this grocery store guy because he pushed Peggy. Um, it's all shot in this big master wide shot, and you see De Niro pull this guy out of the store, throw him through the window. He throws him down on, on the curb, and he's like kicking the guy. And it like you're looking at it, and the way De Niro's standing, his gait like just the way he's standing, he's got like one arm kind of limp hanging. He just looks like an old, an old guy. <laughs> Wasn't and the there problem even
0: a is, in the movie where um, Al Pacino was trying to get up And he was getting up too slow well, yeah that's the that's like Just trying to get up a little bit faster. Well that's that's, that's Yeah yeah
1: yeah. That's another <laughs> That's another part of it Is that like I remember Or I remember them them Saying that Scorsese Like at one point I think it's the scene Where Pacino Is sitting around with his family And they're watching Kennedy On TV That he won the election And he's complaining And oh, all the, the, these These billionaires kids Blah 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 And he goes to get out of the chair And Scorsese had to Like say You know All right You know, you look like a seventy-six-year-old guy getting out of a chair at this point in the story. You're supposed to be in your fifties. Like, try to get up with a little bit more spring, a little bit more energy. And that's the problem: is that the de aging technology is not going to de age their physicality. You know, and we've watched Robert De Niro beat the shit out of people in movies for years. We know what it's supposed to look like. We know what Robert De Niro looks like when he's kicking the shit out of someone. You're watching it, and it just looks like. An old guy. I know. (laughs) You know. I I don't I don't mean to be disrespectful when I say that, but it just it just does.
0: It's exactly this is exactly the same stuff. I feel. I feel like it really takes me out. If he had cast younger people during the younger years of these actors' storylines, it would have been way more effective. I think it could have actually been. I think this movie could have had more to it if it had been done that way. I think it served to be a detriment to the to the movie. I mean, the performances were good, but
1: it doesn't take me out of the movie to the degree that I think it took you out of the movie. Like, for me, I'm willing to overlook some of the de-aging problems because the story's so captivating and the performances are so good. Okay. And and the way right. I... Well,
0: maybe that's what I meant to say. It's like, it's, it's very distracting, but that's what I mean when I say it takes me out of it, though, too. And it's like, I could have been more, I want to say invested, but more like, I believe this is really this world if... He had gone with younger actors for the younger scenes. It reminds me that it's a movie when I'm taken out of it like that. But unless I, like this is a journey I'm on, so this is someone's story. You know, the
1: reason this movie cost so much money to make was because of the de aging technology, and that is well, that
0: is even sadder to me because I feel like they uh, yeah, some of that. yeah,
1: it is, it is. But again, Especially this after is the deep fake things you Well, me. the deep fake thing that's another thing we can even talk about, and this is kind of I, I would say people should check this out because this really blew my mind. Obviously, like the deep fake technology is getting, it's uh, just getting. Astonishing! Like they have the video online of where they replace Jack Nicholson with Jim Carrey in scenes of The Shining, and and it's 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 it looks like it's amazing. They, the The other one that's great is the uh, Home Stallone, where it's they put <laughs> Celeste Stallone's face on Macaulay Culkin for Home Alone. <laughs> so is the whole thing but, with the
0: deep fake like that. They have to have a similar face shape. Or I don't.
1: I don't know. I I, I don't know. I, I'm not even going to pretend to understand how okay. that technology works, but. It, what it seems to look like for me really is the eyes, is that they're able to kind of put the eyes over a, a similar face shape. Now, they did they did a bunch of scenes from The Irishman where they took the de aged version of The Irishman, and then some guy on YouTube took the deep fakes where he was like going back to De Niro from like Goodfellas or from Taxi Driver or wherever. And, right. and when you look at the deep fake, it looks better. It was
0: astonishing. Yeah,
1: and it, and it was kind of amazing. Now, and you
0: said it was cheaper too. So well, it's like that's all the more reason why it's so well, sad. Well, this, this is wait, but wait a second, but wait off. a second.
1: I don't know that you can do an apples to apples comparison, and the reason I would just say that is that this guy didn't take the original footage of The Irishman like before it was de-aged and do this. But it is a little bit startling to look at this stuff and be like, wow, the the stuff that this guy on YouTube was doing almost looks a little bit better. Than some of the stuff that got in the Netflix film for 150 million dollars, would that would that play on a 40 foot screen? Would it start to fall apart? I don't know, maybe. But on our you know 49 inch TV in the living room, it looked pretty good. Yeah. Um, all that being said, Scorsese wanted to pull his toys out of the attic, and what I mean by that is he wanted to get these specific actors. And put them in a movie where he didn't have to cast three different people to play Jimmy Hoffa at three different points of his life. He didn't have to cast three different people um, to play yeah. Frank Sheeran at three different points in his life. He wanted to be able to take one actor and have one unified performance and carry it through different decades of the story. Is it? Does it work as far as the technology goes? No, I don't think so. I, think, I don't think we're quite there yet, unfortunately. And I do think it can get distracting. But... I'm willing to suspend disbelief. It didn't pull me out of the story enough for it to be like, oh, this is what ruins the movie. And I also feel like Scorsese's earned the right to make the movie this way, is to say, listen, if if we're going to give $200 million to comic book film directors to go make movies where people are fighting shit in the sky, like... I want to make a movie where I'm going to take one actor and, and make him seem like he's 30, 40, 50, 60.
0: make the argument that he should have gone with younger actors and then put makeup on them to make them look older later. The reason he chose those three actors in particular was because those are three actors he's, well, maybe not Al Pacino. This is his first time working with Al Pacino, right? Yeah. Technically. Mm-hmm. But with Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro... You know, he wanted to take these three great actors from the school he grew up in, like the school of filmmaking he grew up in, and and this is uh, all of them, including Scorsese, here in the twilight years of their career. And you get why he went with those actors. And I'm not saying the performances weren't great; they were great. I'm. It's it's the fact that it's 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 not as pure. It's not as true to what here's, reality is. Here's here's and, and no reality is this man. In his thirties, right. you know what I mean. I just didn't.
1: Here's where here's where I can meet you in the middle, and and this is what I would say is like specifically that scene we were talking about where De Niro beats the shit out of the guy. It's all shot in a wide shot. It's not shot in close up. Um, that's probably why it's in a wide. Why shot. not? Why not get a younger actor to do the physical parts? Yeah, you know what I mean. And then like super really superimpose the face on it. Do you know what I mean? Like that. That's where I, I can understand some of the physicality. I think would have been improved if they if they were willing to make that concession. When it comes to the faces, yeah, I don't I don't ever really buy that they that they looked I think there's one shot when they show De Niro when he's supposed to be in the war and he like executes those two guys. Yeah. Um that looked pretty good. But again, that was one of those things where he's kind of half in shadow. You can tell that they're using like the face of Travis Bickle. You can tell that that's like they're literally kind of superimposing that face on him. Um he doesn't have to really talk or do much so they can get away with it. Uh-huh. That was maybe one of the only times where it really looked kind of convincing. And the rest of it, yeah, I don't ever buy that De Niro is supposed to be in his 30s or in his 40s right. in this movie. I I don't ever buy it. But for me, it's a small concession to make. If you're willing to take that leap and say, listen, I get to watch Robert De Niro in three hours of this movie, as opposed to maybe only at the end of the movie where he could only play the older version of Frank Sheeran, I'm willing to take that leap with Scorsese. It doesn't pull me out enough... For it to kind of tip the scales and make this movie seem like it it was a waste of money or it wasn't worth doing, I think I think he got to make it the way that he wanted that he needed to make it for for the story that he was trying to tell. And also, like I said, like when we're talking about putting a capstone on it and having the final word, it was like he wanted to use the guys that he wanted to use for it to be as effective. Well,
0: that's another thing I was going to say was that I think in a lot of ways it's like like you said, he certainly earned the right to do whatever he wants and cast whoever he wants and his roles and, and make a movie, about whatever he wants at this point in his career, he's earned that right. But it's also, I think a swan song for all of them. It's yeah. like, this is, they might, I'm sure they still might do other movies, all of these men, but that this is kind of the last movie of this era of films and filmmaking. And all the more reason why maybe some of those comments that we, the discussion we were having earlier in the podcast about the Marvel discussion it might be all the more poignant because this is like the end of this kind of like what kind of movies are being made like this? I mean, like there are some, but it's like it's becoming more and more an exception to the rule. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. I mean, the fact that the, the, a movie like this had to get made through Netflix, it wasn't going to get made through a major studio. There's a, There's been a couple of movies this year that honestly have shocked me that it got made. You know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was one of the examples that people would use. As like, wow, see, that's a personal filmmaker-driven story that the type of movie that doesn't get made so much anymore. But to me, that's it's it's a love letter to Hollywood. Hollywood has no problem producing movies that are a love letter to Hollywood. So that's not as good an example. Like La La something like something like The Lighthouse. Yeah. Like that, it's amazing that a movie like that was able to get made in a system. Like A24, that studio, is really kind of pioneering the the types of movies that I think could go extinct. At this point. Yeah. Um, so, like a movie as crazy and weird and bizarre as The Lighthouse, I don't think it would have ever got made if you didn't have a Pattinson and a Willem Dafoe to jump on board. Uh-huh. You know, if it had been smaller actors, it probably would have never got made. But that's that's kind of like a little bit of a beacon of light or a beacon of hope that we can, that there's still going to be those types of movies that can get made. Um, but I think you're right. I think that the, the Scorsese type of film. You know, you're going to see, unfortunately, less and less of them going to theaters. If they if they get if they're going to get made at all, they're going to get made on streaming services, and that's kind of a that's, bummer. That's
0: sad because that's, that's, kind that's of what a tragedy. You
1: want you want these types of like we
0: and this is what he meant when he made those comments. And people want to act like, oh, he's against comic. You know what? Let's not. No, get us all no one's take I'm just saying, but no one's taking the comic movies away. Like, but they're taking these movies away. Like, I mean. Yeah.
1: This was we we I made a, want to go see him. we made a specific effort. This came out on um November twenty-seventh was when it came out on streaming, but we made a, a concerted effort to go see it while it was in the theater before it came out on Netflix. Because if if I'm gonna see a Martin Scorsese movie, that's how I wanna see. If I'm gonna see any movie, quite frankly, I I still think a superior experience is to go see it in a movie theater. Um but I also understand the convenience of like a Netflix and and obviously it's great to be able to sit in your own house and enjoy a a huge, vast library of movies that you have access to now. So, uh, you know, it's it's great that Netflix got this movie made and it got it made the way that he wanted to have it made. But, you know, I hope that this is not... I I hope that there is more hope for, like, these mid-range movies, these movies that aren't either super, super indie or just giant blockbusters. There's got to be these middle-ground films that can still get made and find an audience. This this one technically is like a big budget movie if you consider how much money had to go into the technology to do the de-aging part of it. But right. again, I, I don't I don't disagree that there's problems with it, but I'm willing to overlook it. It doesn't hurt the movie for me to the degree that it may for, for some people.
0: Right. I mean, it, and like I said, it, when I made the analogy earlier in the podcast about pizza, I mean, it's really not so good analogy I guess but oh, was it's good not analogy. that this movie is great but it's not the greatest to me you know and I think that it could have been better under some circumstances and I know that is taken or can be taken as almost blasphemy when you
1: no, it's, not blasphemy. We're talking about it's here not blasphemy Any, I mean, you have the right you listen everything Martin Scorsese makes doesn't have to be amazing you know it's, but but what I would you're say you're saying
0: is that, like that the the low energy of it at times and through a lot of it is actually intentional. It's it not is. because it's slow and. It's because it's on purpose. It's supposed to be like right. a dread, It's dread-inducing.
1: It's the movie is slower than I mean. his other movies, but it's not slower because he lost a step. It's not slower because yeah. he doesn't know what he's doing. It's it slower. almost felt that way though. It's when slower. I, when I
0: left the theater, I remember feeling a little bit that way. Like feeling he lost like, a step. Like I he's remember not. feeling like he was trying to make a movie in the vein of Goodfellas, and it wasn't kind of like that. But I mean, and then and you're right. And maybe with more time, being away from it, watching it again you know, you feel a little bit differently. You see it a little bit differently. You understand things a little bit differently. And and I know that now, I mean, yeah, it makes sense that it was probably more of an intentional choice for the pacing and for the for it to feel different than yeah. a Goodfellas. It's not supposed to have the same energy as a Goodfellas. It's Definitely just not. because the subject matter is so similar that I expected it to be maybe. And it wasn't supposed to be like Goodfellas. The comparison... It the, was never supposed to be.
1: It, it wasn't supposed to be Goodfellas. The comparison that I would make... For this movie, uh, as far as like filmmakers and style of movie goes, is I would say like David Fincher, in my opinion, made the two greatest serial killer movies of all time. Okay. Seven, which is very much the cop driven, detective driven, kind of like your, your standard type of serial killer movie. The cops are chasing the killer. They have to figure out who he is before they run out of time. It's a high octane, you know, but obviously done in this amazingly artistic way that David Fincher is amazing at doing. I think that's like the one of the seminal um, uh, serial killer movies. It's it's one of my favorite. Now, on conversely, on the flip side, he also made Zodiac, which is about about a real killer, about the Zodiac killer. But it's the style of it is completely different. It's right. a it's a much more the movie's not told from the perspective of detectives. It's told from journalists. It's told actually from a cartoonist is the main character of the movie. Um, who's just who's just obsessed with trying to solve the puzzle right. and it's done in a more journalistic it's a little bit it's a little bit more of a slower burn the violence when it happens in the movie is a little bit more um uh, you know like the the most violent scene in the movie takes place in broad daylight yeah. it's very quiet yeah. it's not there's not a whole lot of style to it it it. but but where the climax of seven is two detectives facing down this evil killer who's put the head of a woman in a box you know is the climax of seven when you get to the climax of zodiac it's a guy looking at another guy in a hardware store and just them staring at each other and him knowing like in his head okay I, i found you right and it's they're both great serial killer movies but they're just told in a completely different style so i feel like you know yeah, Martin Scorsese, for me, made the seminal mob movie with Goodfellas. Goodfellas is, I like Goodfellas even better than I like The Godfather. I think it's the greatest mob movie of all time. But he also made this movie, The Irishman, which in its in its own way is, is a, a counterpart to Goodfellas, but it's just, it's the same world, but told kind of through a different perspective. Yeah. Um, and it's meant to be more differently paced and slower and 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 to kind of be more melancholy and sad and be more about the the finality and the messaging of the of like this is this is what it is it is what it is it's yeah, that's that's that line that, that you know been another title for the so movie.
0: what it's what it is
1: but i thought we were going to disagree a lot more than we did in this in this episode i feel like
0: i think we disagreed enough
1: all right well hopefully it'll be great to see if uh if we if they do good at the oscars next sunday um i'd love to see marty get one more of course i feel like i feel like he's he probably should have more than the one that he has now um but obviously it would, he still only has one only has one it, only from one for the departed. only one from the departed uh never you know he was nominated for like taxi driver and raging bull and never goodfellas won for that i know gangs of new york never won for any of them um no,
0: that's a real tragedy
1: but it'll be nice to see if uh it'd be nice to see him grab one this year and then obviously like would love to see Thelma shoemaker because she's just like one of the most fantastic is the editing in all his movies is so great. And she's a great collaborator. It'd be great to see her get it. would be great to, I don't, I don't, I don't think it stands a chance for best picture, but at least best director would be really cool to, to see Marty get it again. All right. So let's flip a coin for, for next week. Um, we've already got our highs and lows picked out for, for either one, but again, always want to remind folks to, so write into movie at gmail.com. Send us your high and low recommendations uh, and let us know, for the movie that you're sending, if it's high or low and why it's a high or low film. Um, Let's flip this. Heads. Heads. So we're going high for next week. Again, too high in a row. That's pretty good. All right. Um, So it seems apropos that uh, next week will be Valentine's Day uh, or when we release says it'll be Valentine's Day. So we're going to go with Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind by Michel Gondry. It's a personal favorite of ours. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, thank you guys for for listening. And uh, check back with us next week when we review Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind by Michelle Gondry. And we will see you on the next episode.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: Bye. Tony told the old man to tell me, to tell you, mm-hmm. it's what it is. At the end, there's only one thing that's real. This is my union.